You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm okay. Let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of Non-Zero Newsletter. This is a Non-Zero Podcast. You're Paul Bloom. Now, uh, in the past, when you've been on the podcast, I've introduced you as a, an eminent psychologist and author of many important books, all of which is true. But now there's something new to say about you. It's that you have a Substack newsletter called Small Potatoes. Now, Paul, I have something to say about the title of your newsletter, Small Potatoes. I think I know where this is going, but go ahead. Do you? Because actually, as it happens, this is something I said to Mickey Kaus on uh, last week's uh, podcast. And uh, we'll get back to the subject of uh, Mickey Kaus. Because, uh, you know, cultural historians are already beginning to refer to this uh, era in American history as the post-Mickey era. Uh, And um, I'm going to get back to that. But what I said to Mickey is, Golda Meir once said, don't be so humble, you're not so great, okay? <laughs> so so don't, don't get carried away with a false modesty on these Substack newsletter titles, for example, okay? Is it yeah. too late? Is it too late for this it's advice? Way, it's way too late. <laughs> you're, pretty, you're pretty committed? You, the so. URL is there and everything? Everything, everything. Mm. Well, you should have talked to me earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's it there's, there's there's a genuine humility. It's actually there's actually a story for That's why I call what it. That's what all the falsely humble people say, <laughs> Paul. I know. There's actually a story for why I call it small potatoes. Uh-huh. It's a short story. I said this at the. I'd love at, to hear it. it. It's a short one. Um, I, I wrote an article a long time ago, my friend David Pizarro on moral mm-hmm. psychology, a commentary on John Haidt, actually, who you know, and um. And in the middle of an article, I wrote, I says, and I said, this is not small potatoes. And the editor, the great Walter and Michelle said, you have to remove this. It's idiomatic. People aren't going to get it. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not professional. So I removed it. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But since then, it's been grinding on me. So each yeah. of my books I published, I have the mm. phrase, this is not small potatoes. So as an act there of catharsis, that's my Paul, origin story. Paul's revenge. That'll show that editor. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I like the title. You don't forget it. It's unlike the other Substack titles. It's unlike Non-Zero, for example. You can never forget Non-Zero. Although there's a kind of humility there. It's like, yeah, it's not nothing. Non-Zero, <laughs> right? I never thought of it that way. It's not nothing. Um. So, okay. So, <clears throat> first of all, um, you have uh, kindly... Uh, agreed to do one of these with me once a month unless you've already had second thoughts after that uh after the first few minutes of this um and that will i guess go some distance to um you know filling the void uh, left in uh, you know people's spiritual lives by the uh departure of mickey although he'll show up at some point down the road so do you have three other time. people so like i'm 25 percent of mickey i i i you are 25% of Mickey. That's why I thought of you first. Uh, <laughs> the, short, okay. the short answer is no, Wait, I don't have the, all this. The humility is really, really. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, look, you chose small potatoes. Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. You're about 25% of Mickey. Um, uh, no, the short answer is no. Um, I'm, I'm slowly piecing things together. Um, 
for example, all earlier this week, I did a podcast, uh, a, a kind of uh, co-production venture or something with this uh, podcast, American Prestige. I'm going to do one with them every two months. Mm-hmm. And I may like line up a foreign policy podcast with a few people every two months. Every, I don't know. Anyway, eventually the, the Mickey sized hole in people's lives will never be entirely filled. Let's face it. But still, we'll do what we can. Um, and uh, later, in fact, before long, I'm going to talk about Mickey some more because I know mm-hmm. you were a fan uh, of the podcast. I used to get emails from you like Ray yeah. Yeah, about just- the Bob Mickey, about the parrot room. Sending directions, uh, that sort of thing. But I, I listened to your be. final, your final. We could save it, but listen to your final parent parent room. It was um, touching where, where he sang to you. It was, I sang it to was, him. I sang to him. Somebody sang to somebody. I don't get the we'll, video. We'll get I just, I just listen no, to audio. To no, you're together. right. We sang to each other. That's the kind of relationship yeah. it was. We did that, that all something. the time. People don't know that, but we used to. We would just call and just like <laughs> sing to each other. That's my wife used to get a little, you know. Anyway, it's, it's funny because you 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 two get very aggressive sometimes, and you 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 yell at him, and but I realized that underneath that there could be like real love. Huh? I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, anyway, you're right about the yelling part. Um, I yelled at him more than he yelled at me. Uh, that's but, for sure. Yeah, now I have some Irish in me, and that's my excuse. Um, but uh, so. We can talk about Mickey even more. There's one thing we wanted to talk about at the outset because we thought we couldn't quite not. It wouldn't it would be strange not to, uh, which is that, uh, you know, this is the week uh, that this kind of horror unfolded um, in Israel. uh, And, you know, uh, we're taping this Wednesday, by the way, it'll appear Friday. And that's among the reasons we decided not to kind of dwell on this and go deep on it. Uh, who knows where things will be on Friday? Yeah. Um, but uh, still, I, I thought it makes sense to at least allude to it. And you said you had a thing or two uh, you might want to say. I have a thing or two I might want to say. Uh, I imagine you can go first. Have, have, have a lot to say. Well, I actually have. I said some of it on that aforementioned podcast. I'll say more of it in the non-zero newsletter, which comes out on Friday, the same day this post. But, um, but I'll try to be concise uh, for the time being on this podcast. I mean, my reactions to this are kind of difficult. Um, I find it, you know, utterly horrifying what happened. You know, and uh, horrifying what happened, and then in some ways, somewhat shocked that there are people who apparently can't bring themselves to denounce, you know, baby killing and raping and the murder of civilians and all that. Um, putting aside the, the complicated issue of, of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and what to do about that and the fate of different people and all like that, there's a lot of room for, for debate on, on that. But I'm, I'm surprised that some people can bring themselves to denounce this horrific act and I'm also surprised that there's obviously some plainly anti-Semitic demonstrations around the world. You know, people in Sydney, Australia, chanting gas to Jews and fuck the Jews. And I, I, I call that anti-Semitic, yes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's the anti-Zionist versus anti-Semitic, but there, it's pretty yeah, anti-Semitic. Yeah. So I don't think there's any, any disagreement in you and me about that. And then, um, 
And then what Israel will do, what Israel should do, oh, I don't have the foggiest. Yeah. Um, now, you said you had something to say about the whole issue of, uh, it was like the dissemination of images of the horror. Yeah. Horror. yeah. yeah. Um, so I spent been spending too much time on Twitter, on X these days, reading stories and watching, seeing videos of, of kidnappings and killings and everything. And this is what occurs to me, which is there are incentives on the part of just about everybody to show as much horrific imagery as you can. Apparently, Hamas, for whatever reasons, maybe this is what terrorism is, wants to distribute it, films it, uploads it, wants to make a big thing about it. It's in the interest of Israeli hawks to to um, to get to show this, to show this, to justify any action they want to do. It's in the interest of the social media companies, particularly Twitter, because it makes people like me go to them. And now they apparently have very few links to actual news stories, but just people's opinions and those stupid videos. It's in the interest of individual high-profile Twitter users now because they make money when you click on, on it. And it's an interest of everybody, except I think, I think normal people who want things to work out as best as possible. It's important to know what happened, but you know, I think this is this is gonna this just inflames people on both sides, the endless videos. Maybe it numbs them, maybe it just it just drives them to this sort of insane rage, this insane sort of kill everybody attitude. And none of this is good. Yeah. Um I mean that that part reminds me a little of your book. Yeah. Against empathy, you were you were you know the downsides of emotional empathy. You know the kind where you feel people's yep. pains, and one of them it wasn't one you really dwelt on in the book, but but I'm sure you'd agree that one of them is that uh, you know empathy with victims of something can lead uh, to overreaction or for you to encourage yeah. overreaction. Um, you know there was the famous case in the. Uh, before the Persian Gulf War, which, as Iraq wars go, wasn't wasn't the bad one. I mean, uh, it, it was the the earlier one uh, that was, you know, consistent with international law. Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. But anyway, the before, the people who were favored the American intervention that eventually uh, showed up had somebody go before Congress and testify that uh, the Iraqis in Kuwait had been ripping the, uh, you know, the power plugs out of incubators yeah. and hospitals. Turned out to be a total lie. This person wasn't even a nurse, as she claimed. She had been sent there by a public relations uh, company. But, you know, the reason they sent her is because that works. Yeah. Uh, and and um, and it, it can get uh, countries to invade other countries, which sometimes is justified, sometimes isn't. But it can uh, can lead to overreaction. Of course, in this in this case, uh, it's not made up. This stuff actually happened. Yeah. And yeah. um the uh you know in my as for my reaction i mean first of all there's that you know the the revulsion at that uh but then also as you know a long-standing supporter of the palestinian cause uh, i feel bad for the palestinian cause because i don't think this is going to serve it i think the yeah. the level of barbarism uh is gonna um you know is is going to be bad uh, for the cause. I mean, not that things were looking great for it to begin with. I understand that. But, um, you know, I was reminded um, there's, did you see the movie Munich? Yes, uh, okay, so that was about the uh, the murder of Israeli athletes at the 1972 Olympics. 
And there's a scene, and I and I and I looked this up on YouTube and got the exact wording because uh, I remembered it so vividly. Well, not vividly enough, so I checked. And anyway, so now I have the exact quote. Um, and uh, there's a Palestinian militant talking to a, I, a guy who I think is like a German lefty who supports the cause, but you know is has that. And he and and the German says, "You kill Jews, and the world feels bad for them and thinks you're animals." And the Palestinian says, yes, but then the world will see how they've made us into animals. They'll start to ask questions about the conditions in our cages. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, but I, I, I think uh, I, I don't see this helping the cause. Um, and, and what's just kind of odd about it is, you know, historically, violent, re violent resistance movements attack civilians sometimes because they can only get at the soft targets, right? They don't have enough firepower to do more than that. Um, this is a case where, to the surprise of pretty much everyone, they actually had a, a, an effective military assault ready and could well have confined their targets to military targets and still yeah. gotten a lot of attention. But anyway, we are where we are. And I worry that, I mean, what they may say Maybe they could say, well, we'll bait Israel into an overreaction, uh, much as Osama bin Laden, whether he wanted to or not, baited America into an overreaction. Uh, but, I mean, I'm just thinking at a tactical level, what, what, you know, even if you accept that from their point of view, this level of bloodshed would be justified by the cause, trying to figure out, like, how they could even think that as a practical matter that that uh logic would play out i don't i don't totally get it yeah, but I've, I've heard different theories of what what the goal here was and and one one of them is to provoke israel into doing violent reprisals and then when they get their own footage of, of palestinian children dying and so on and use that as a tool but i don't know well that will happen i mean there yeah. will be footage uh yeah. But, um, yeah, so I there's don't know. Something, there's something about it, which, and I'll tell you this, and I wrote this book against empathy. So, so, but I, so I, I know what I, what I'm talking about, which is there's something about this, which is so terrible. And I feel as sort of corrosive to rational thought, which is that if they fired rockets, as they often do, as well as they fired rockets, it was very successful and blew mm -hmm. up a building, blew up a hospital, mm -hmm. horrifying, but the the inhuman personal the 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 rapes the murder of babies the is something about it is sort of unusually shocking and i think should be unusually shocking yeah i thought about this specifically in the context of the music festival or the rave or whatever you want to yeah. call it is like if missiles had hit that that's right that would be bad yeah. And and even if the same number of people were somehow killed by missiles, which would be unlikely, yeah. but if it had happened, that would be bad, but in in a sense not as horrifying as yes. knowing uh that they, you know, by one uh firsthand account, if somebody was at the concert, um when when concert goers were hiding in the woods, they said, Come on out with your hands up, and the ones who stood up got shot, and she didn't stand up. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. it's so, it's truly shocking. It's it's yeah. It's, I, there, there, there's been few events in recent history, and you know, we've seen. There's always I know that a lot of these events are out of sight, 
what what happens in, in Ukraine, mm-hmm. what happens elsewhere. There's all sorts of atrocities. Mm-hmm. But this one sort of, I think, caught public attention in a way that's very unusual. Well, I think there's more, even than there has been in Ukraine, undeniable intentional targeting of innocent civilians. Yeah, you know, right. even in that's even right. in even in Bucha, I think uh for all we know, they were mainly uh or entirely killing people that they suspected of being collaborators yeah. or or whatever. But um anyway, you know, again, I, I'm a long-standing supporter of the Palestinian cause and and uh, horrible uh depredations have been visited on on them. They've been denied basic human rights and and that's uh why this uh makes me kind of even more depressed than the uh, atrocity itself would um yeah I, I could see that and you know from the palestinian side this was not this was not a good event and and it's going to have a horrible horrible consequences uh that's that's my only prediction <laughs> horrible consequences um well certainly in, in the near term yeah um possibly on a scale we're we're not even yet imagining uh, but okay, I'll ask, I'll uh, ask one. I'll ask one foreign policy question. You're a foreign policy maven. Okay. Do you think a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, um, the Americans will be supporting two wars? Well, they're going to be supporting. Uh, you mean will this war last that long? Is that the question, or or, I, or will American support for Ukraine dry up? All these questions. Is that the? Is that what I you guess, mean? I guess what I'm wondering is will, and I don't know. I, Will American public say, well, you know, we were, we, we were content with you spending all this money on Ukraine, on Ukraine and Israel. That mm-hmm. degree of support is too much. Um, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a wild card. Uh, I don't really know where the yeah. where the uh, my guess is they're going to eke out another round of support for Ukraine. That would have been my guess before this happened. Yeah. Whether this this will be at odds with that, I don't I don't really know. I I can't uh I can't make a prediction. Um but uh it, it certainly unless Israel abandons its stated goals, the war could be going on that long. The stated goals being uh dismantling Hamas or something. I mean, that's uh I don't know how exactly do that or what comes next, uh, but um anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, everything we talk about from now on will be less depressing. I think it's safe to say. Yes. Don't, don't yes, you? It's, it's, you? Yeah. Get the worst part over with. Well, uh, certainly including Mickey. Is there anything else you want to say about Mickey? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You guys, I, I, um, I was a fan. Um, it was, um, it was something for you to be with a, a Trump supporter, or I guess an ex-Trump supporter. Um. You know, you guys, you guys also had a good chemistry. I, I, I wasn't there so much for the arguments about the child tax credit or immigration. <laughs> Neither but, was I. We just more, kept coming that's back. Right. That's right. But, but, but more there was there was a, a, a good vibe. A lot of a lot of pop culture, a lot of music, a lot of it was it was a pleasure listening to you guys. And I was, you know, everything comes to an end. Yeah. Do you, do you want to? I missed like an episode or two. Um, I gathered the breakup was Mickey's idea. Well, we had both, we both had a sense that it was taking a kind of toll on us in different ways. Um, and uh, so we had, we talked together about 
winding it down. It's like, you know, I was like, you know, well, in, in whenever, in, you know, the 20th anniversary of our very first one, because we started these long ago and then did a long hiatus yeah. without many of them. And then we, um, I said, well, that'll be then, you know, get in then. And he's like, no, sooner. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it does have to be sooner than that because that's still a ways off. But, uh, you know, he was in a bigger hurry. Uh, but uh, he, 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 you know, I know the feeling because I've got, I've got a book to write and I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, get that done fairly soon. And and he feels that he wants to do something significant that consists, uh, that, that goes beyond podcasting. And uh, this was eating up a lot of his time. Yeah. So he was in a bigger hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, end of an era, as you say. As I, I say. Uh, there'll, be, so, there'll be books like the oral history of uh, of your podcast. And we're already being approached by major Hollywood studios. I could imagine. I get to get the actors figured out for the two of you. That's yeah. A, that's a fun I don't want to name names. I don't want to spoil anything that's in the works, but let's just say you'll have, you'll have heard of these actors. Yeah, okay. I, I could believe that. I could believe yeah. that. You want to talk a bit about your book? Mm. Does it still have Apocalypse in the title? Now, actually, you know what's changed is I now have a two-book contract, I think, if they'd hurry up and send the paperwork. Uh, but wow. yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I was writing this book on cognitive empathy, perspective taking. Yes. Then I felt this desperate urge to write a book about AI because I think I have a perspective that is probably different from the average author of an AI book. So I said, well, uh, and, and, and they said, okay. And so I'm going to deliver that one first. And now um, that's that. But that's as... That's as much as I, as the world wants to hear about my book, I'm sure. Um, but speaking of books, um, I hear you've actually read the Elon Musk biography by Walter Isaacson. Listen to it all, maybe 18 hours, a lot of hours. Yeah, how uh, is it? And it's, uh, it's very good. It's, um, I, I do not, per unlike you, I don't personally know Walter Isaacson, but he's a good writer. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's good Pro solid prose that pushes he's, things. He's forward. very solid. I listened um, to the Steve Jobs books and the Einstein uh, uh, yeah. and the Einstein book. There, there's there's a repetitious nature to the book because Elon Musk's life is kind of repetitious. He does he has a company. He goes in. This happens. That happens. And it happens again with a different company, SpaceX and Tesla. The boring. And um, except for except for Twitter, which was an entirely different story. But mm -hmm. it's it's. I found it reinforced two views that I have of Musk. One is, which I've had for a long time, is that he's truly brilliant. He's there's story after story of him walking into a room of scientists and engineers and knowing their stuff better than they do. Mm -hmm. Because he reads all the time. He's 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 obsessively focused and he's truly brilliant. And then the second thing is he's an asshole. He's just there's story after story. This this, mm -hmm. you know wretched behavior to people vindictive cruel um in some way not i think based on sadism but just based on this this extreme self-interest that musk has mm -hmm. that causes disregard people when they're when they're no use to him and yeah. um it's an interesting profile and, and and then you can wonder to what extent does the genius and and the 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 awfulness go together i also read another biography which i really liked uh on derek parfit the philosopher derek parfit mm, mm. And i had dinner with him once no way yeah totally really? you know what he read my book the moral animal he was very complimentary 
I'm I'm impressed. He should be, damn it. He was <laughs> like this major. Now he's not a well-known name, but some some serious I've heard serious philosophers say he was the greatest living philosopher at the time he was living. I'm I not mean, a he serious was, philosopher, but I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's a he he's just his his work on personal identity. His work on morality occupied the, mm-hmm. the, the, the last part of his life. I think the work on personal identity mm-hmm. is, is what he's going to be most remembered for. And it's an extraordinary interest. Yeah. There was kind of a Buddhist vibe to some of his philosophy. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a super interesting uh, guy, uh, at, I mean, to talk to. Um, he uh, kind of purported to not have a lot of ordinary human emotions yes. that's overstating it maybe i don't know what sense did you get what sense no, did you it's, get? it's not it's not overstating it he um he he was emotionally very strange and um the author uh dave dave edmonds i think um speculates that he has some sort of autism or asperger's syndrome mm-hmm. though the puzzle was he seemed to be pretty normal affable social for the first part of his life mm-hmm. and sort of lost his normalness as as he grew older so he claimed never to ever want anyone to be him, to be hurt. And he, he never wanted suffering for anybody. And mm-hmm. he, the example he gave was he saw a video of, a, of, of Hitler dancing a jig. Um, and he's like, well, I'm glad he had that happy moment. Yes, he said, he said, well, at least one good thing happened from World War II. Just look how happy <laughs> he is. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, but it's sincere. It's like he, he gave a talk once and he was talking about, extinction he said if and if, if consciousness went away we would lose mozart i think it was mozart he lose mozart and then he goes enormous crowd big talk he starts to weep and for like three minutes he's there sobbing at the idea of loss of mozart but this is a guy who and, and this is the connection with Musk. this is the guy who good friends of his would say i'm coming to oxford you know can i have lunch with you come in three months and part I'm just too busy. I'm working on my book. He had friends who were dying, and he wouldn't visit them, visit them because he viewed his book as more of a priority. God he, bless him. As he got away, just more and more focus on his work, which he viewed as a transcendental, transcendental importance, rooted in a genuine caring for people. But the people who loved him, he treated very poorly. Did he? Yeah. I mean, it, you mean beyond not giving them the time they, no, they would was, like? It was, it was just not giving them the time. Well... Life's full of trade-offs, man. I mean, uh, uh, you know, that's a real part of life if you're if you're committed to your work. Man, you, um, have, you have two book contracts, right? Think how cold you could be to those who love you. Do, yeah, you, you ask. <laughs> tell me about. It. Ask them. Ask them. Come here, Lisa. Come here. No. Um, the uh, yeah. So um, anyway, Musk. I mean, so it's interesting that they both apparently uh we're on the spectrum and it played out so differently mm-hmm. i mean you can say that that parfit was in some sense not mindful of the needs of his loved ones but yes. as you said elon musk is flat out cruel and yeah. and i don't think i think this uh, tell me how this theory holds up I, I actually i think it holds up well having heard walter talk about the book uh, on podcasts the theory that there's a certain kind of revenge playing out against the bullies who tormented Elon Musk back when he was this kid on the spectrum who didn't understand sarcasm and just wasn't tuned in and they'd like beat him up. Yeah. And 
some of this is like getting back, treating the whole world as those bullies, right? Or at least a lot of the world as those bullies. Does that seem crazy? I think I think that no, that doesn't seem crazy at all. I think that 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 that's an important part of him. I think another part was this very complicated relationship with his father, who was quite a piece of work. Uh, maybe he's quite a piece of work. I think he may still be still be around. Um, you know, towards the end of the book, there's a revelation that his father um, has a couple of children with his stepdaughter. Um, and this is like, this is just a sort of a typical Elon Musk's father story. And also, mm-hmm. Musk's father was brutal to him. Yeah. Savage. And, and, and Musk, and Musk tells Isaacs in this, some of Musk's wives, his partners say to, say to him, look, you've got to realize you are, you know, the things you say your father said to you, you say to other people. Right. Um, and so I think there's that too. Mm-hmm. You know, you could take it from a genetic point of view, take it from a psychodynamic point of view, but but there's that too. Yeah. And then, but, you know, as smart as he is, leaving the cruelty aside, as smart as he is, he's just in some realms so crazy. And so, so kind of devoid of what you would think you could call intellectual judgment. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to say he doesn't understand people and that accounts for the way he handled Twitter. I think that's there's some truth to that. Uh, that's the one thing by his own account he doesn't understand. He says he was he's on the spectrum, you know, so uh, and, you know, one thing that's often associated with it is is kind of not, you know, well, not specifically a cognitive empathy deficit, according to yep. some work. Right. Like you're not you're not good at doing the perspective taking and thinking through how are Twitter users going to process this and stuff like that? That's one thing. But then in in kind of sheerly intellectual realms, like he said once, uh, the chances that we're not living in a simulation are one in a billion. I just don't see how you could have any confident judgment about that question, like at all. I don't, I don't, I don't see how you could start applying numbers in a way, yeah. but certainly that you could have, you could say, no, I'm sure, I'm positive we're living in a simulation. That seems pretty unwarranted. And then one thing I just heard, I don't know if they get into this, but I just taped a podcast with an AI safety guy. It hasn't aired yet. Uh, And he does some consulting for Musk. So he knew this, but I think it's public knowledge that, you know, Musk's uh, Neuralink uh, endeavor, you know, plugins like microchip plugins for the brain. Apparently, part of the idea there is that that, you know, Musk is very concerned about the superintelligence AI scenario where it takes over and squashes us, either kills us or subjugates us. And apparently, part of the idea behind the Neuralink is that, like that'll help us fight back. Yeah. Okay. That's so like I have some thoughts on that, Paul. <laughs> you don't you don't think that that's the way to for us to destroy the robots? Well, here's the thing. It probably wouldn't work. I mean, what are the what are the chances that you'd be able to like first of all overcome the 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 electronics bio interface problem so thoroughly that you'd always have the latest I, AI uh, to to combat the other AIs. But the other thing is like, do you want the latest AI? I mean, the, the the premise of his whole fear is that the most powerful AIs will be these things that can take over human systems and put them to malicious use. This control. And there's nothing you can do about it because they'll outsmart us. Well, if that is the case, here is my advice. 
do not let them into your brain. Okay. <laughs> it's like if, if they're going to be able to do combat with the other AIs, that means they're going to be just as uncontrollable. It's like, or on the other hand, if we can control the ones in our brain, well, we can control the other ones. Yeah. Where's the flaw in my logic? I just think no, I. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. Musk says a lot of things. And to be, to be fair, he says a lot of things. And there are some things which he says which are, are pretty insane. Another thing he says about AI, and Scott Alexander had a little, well, not never, never a little post, a long post on this, is that the solution to the Lyman problem is to make AI curious. If it's very curious, it won't destroy humans because we're so interesting and vibrant. And Scott mm. Alexander points out various problems with that, one of which being scientists are immensely curious about fruit flies. And we're curious yeah. about, about all sorts of things. So curious which, that they kill we, them and study them. Yes, which we exercise our curiosity in, in, yeah. in incredibly gruesome ways. Um, I think I think maybe like a lot of very successful people, this goes way beyond Musk, um, he feels privileged to talk about things which he doesn't really know much about. And he knows an enormous amount about technology and engineering. But yeah. um, but other things less so. so. So Musk is the one who said the, the make them curious yeah. thing? Yeah, to make him curious thing. What a nut. Yeah, it, it's not a good idea. And and it's not like, you know, if I was to say that, you just say, oh, he's you know, talking to a guy who says some stupid ideas. But Musk has a lot of power. And and it's very now becoming increasingly invested in 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 the whole AI competition. Can you give us a, a teaser, or you may not want to, about your AI book? You say it's going to say something that no one else has said before. It got me very curious. Um. I'm I'm awaiting the paperwork. You, I want to make sure wanna... I do have a contract. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I would say there, if you if you look into my newsletters, into the non-zero newsletter archives, you'll find some clues. But for now, I'll just say I'm not. I don't think I have to worry about a book that is uh, uh, more cosmic and less crazy than mine. <laughs> there we go. The the blur writes itself. Yeah, it's like uh, it's kind of like AJ Liebling saying I I write better than everyone writes faster than me and i write faster than everyone writes better than me <laughs> something i don't know um the uh so uh what else what else is going on in your life unless you have more musk thoughts he's endlessly fascinating i i, I always have um have musk thoughts i mean that the just just to kind of continue along the line i do wonder I do wonder the relationship between Musk's awful personality and his quite staggering successes. Just like I wonder about the relationship between Parfit's, you know, not productivity. He actually was not a very productive scholar in terms of books and articles, but his his genius uh -huh. and his sort of single-mindedness, which makes him a bad person. Maybe, in certain ways, a bad person. Maybe, maybe being a good, normal person of deep normal relationships and everything and he takes up so much time that that it it keeps you from from doing great things in other domains that's my excuse it it does take a lot of time i mean if you just and respond yeah what a what a time sink yeah we've done it uh, we speak from experience um so many books were unwritten oh yeah my daughter, that's a heavy burden of guilt to bear. I don't see how they bear it when they think of all the great books I could have written. How do they do it? How do they get, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Um, it's all true. 
Uh, now, you know, the uh, it's funny. So Walter did get one serious thing wrong in that book. So this is yeah. one of the, and I guess he's, I don't know how the book is being received other than that. Um, but the, an interesting thing to me is, you know, this Michael Lewis book on Sam Bankman-Fried, he's getting serious blowback for the first time because yes he's I, I'm, I'm listening he, to that one now by the way oh are you is it good yeah. i mean michael is so good as a writer uh and he's a lot more colorful a writer than isaacson yeah maybe better at telling a story more personal less maybe less detailed yeah uh but he has this uh it's i've talked to mickey about this he he's uh he's he has the cynicism without the bitterness he has this bamused attachment. He has a thoroughly, in a sense, cynical view of human nature. He's skeptical he, is, of everyone. Michael Lewis. Bitter, but he's yeah. not bitter. He, he There's a bamused yeah. detachment. And I think that's one thing he got tr into trouble for. <laughs> I mean, I haven't read the book, but people wanted him to be harder on Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, and one thing about him is, he, is I'm sure he just, he clearly found him pretty amusing. And yeah. he found him likable, I think. Is that your sense? Yeah. Yeah, he seems to, he found him likable. My understanding, I haven't got that part of the book, was he basically says uh, that Lewis does not think he's he's guilty of what he's being accused of. I don't see how you get there just based on what I've heard. But yeah, I, don't, I don't see that either. Um, I mean, he told people that the money they put in the exchange was safe and not being put to other uses. It was being put to other uses. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Bankman Fried is himself an odd character. Um, uh, well, as I mean, I mean that yeah. obviously, but yeah, but early in the book, so Lewis says, you know, I want to know about your childhood since you were eighteen. Uh, you know, your first eighteen years of life. Is there people you could point me to to talk about that? And yeah, Bankman Fried goes, no, I don't really remember anything from then. You can talk to my parents, my brother, maybe, and his brother just says. Yeah, I don't really know him that well. And and he seemed to um he lived an extremely rationalist life. It is, in, you know, in what his, sense? His parents didn't celebrate um holidays of any sort, including birthdays. They so wait, birthdays that was that was what they brought to the story. They didn't that wasn't at his behest. They just did not celebrate holidays. No, they you know, they, they didn't celebrate their Jewish, they celebrated Hanukkah, and then one day, one year they forgot about Hanukkah, and they asked the kids, do you mind if we forgot about it? I said, no. And then, but they also didn't celebrate birthdays. They said, there's a line, they said to the kids, look, if you want something, if you want a present, you you know, you just, just ask, and we'll talk about it, and if it's reasonable, we'll get it for you. So we don't need to save it all for a special day or wait. Mm -hmm. um, it was, Bangman, he was surprisingly old, I think a teenager, when he realized that people believed in God. He had thought it was something that people talked like an like a, a, an expression or something, and so he would he had he, his parents would have people over to us. He said he'd ask him, "Do you believe in God?" And not like he's not like a five year old; he's like a teenager. And, yeah. and they would they would say, "Yeah," and he said, "I, I don't understand." And see, he was he is the most came comes off as the most hyper rationalist of hyper rationalists. And actually, by nature, you think it's not like an act to any extent. He talks about it. A part about he talks about training himself to make facial facial expressions. He went. He said he went through most Whoa. of his life not bothering to make facial expressions because he felt like he could just tell people what he believes and what he wants, and that should do it. And then he came to the realization that people kind of want facial expressions, so mm -hmm. he would practice in front of a mirror. 
So do we think he's on the spectrum too? Is there anybody who's I, not on the spectrum? Are we on nobody, the spectrum? Nobody's successful. Um, but is, I'm, is I'm it, spec- is it I'm said? Spectrum. I'm not as successful as I should be. I'm a little on the spectrum, I think. But no. is it said about him that he's on the spectrum? Uh, there, it's not, in the book, it has not been said, but to me, it is screamingly obvious. But I, I mean, not just the hyper-rationalism, which is, which is, I think, something which could go along with being a, a good social, very socially uh, adept and so on. Just every description of him is is very, very, like he's very unfamiliar. He has no, he has little instinctive grasp of emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. Unlike Unlike Musk, I mean, he seems to be, he he decided at some point in his life he's going to be, he likes people and he cares about people. He's going to be friendly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, that's, he, he, has, uh, he has a thing where he says, yep, yep. And he says, whenever somebody asks him something, he typically agrees. Yeah, yeah I'll come to your thing. I'll yeah. give you $10 million. He never does it, but he realizes that it makes people happy for him to say that. Yeah, there's a scene in one of the excerpts about that where he's, uh, talking to Anna Wintour of oh, Vogue, yes. and, and she's trying to, uh, on a Zoom call, and what he's actually doing is playing a video game and just saying, yep, every few seconds. And, yes. and then at the end, somebody explains that he's agreed to go to some Met Gala, <laughs> Met Gala. which he doesn't show up for. Uh, anyway. They, they, they um, said they were going to have uh, Tom Ford make a designer version of his uh, of his cargo shorts uh, outfit, <laughs> cargo shorts and t-shirt. So, outfit. but here, here's, I mean, the last question I have about him is like, when I saw him on stage with, I think, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, and they're wearing suits, and he's wearing cargo shorts and, like, sandals or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but you are an asshole. I, you know, it's like, is it is it possible that that was not, if not calculated, at least something he was aware of? Like, he's aware, like, yeah, I know you're supposed to wear a suit, but I'm Sam fucking Bankman Freed, and I'm just doing my thing? I mean, it must have gone that far in his head, right? It wasn't like he didn't know yeah. that yeah, it's a good question. If any other human did it, you'd think the person's an asshole. Like, you know, why aren't they dressing appropriately? What are they trying to prove? Um, and he can wear a suit. There was there, there's a scene Michael Lewis tells where he sees Michael Lewis and and Bank is, is wrapped up in his hand in a tight little ball, a suit somebody gave him. <laughs> so so he can meet, I don't know, Mitch McConnell or somebody. And he said, yeah, You have to wear yeah. a suit so you're in a tight little, but I think this is the one case where a guy shows up in, in cargo shorts and sandals and isn't an asshole. He just works in a different mode. Well, I guess my hat's kind of off to him. Yeah. Um, We're here talking about unusual people. We are. It's reassuring because it makes me feel less unusual. I, I I feel like the, the very picture of normality. Um, so what else are you writing about in this? Uh, the Substack in, in this newsletter of yours, we've gone a while without talking about it and feeling a bit of pressure. Um, yeah, it was about time to to throw the phrase "small potatoes" out there. A little product I, placement. I wrote something on on implicit bias, and not many people read, which was like a a, a reader's guide that answer your questions answered about implicit bias. Where mm-hmm. you know, I talk about the limits of implicit bias tests, but I say implicit bias is real, and talk a little bit about that. And then not many people notice it. And then I responded to an article which said it's all bullshit. No such thing. And I just gently I said, no, no, it's not true. Read my thing. And I got quite a quite a response, uh, quite a negative response by people. I think I think people who see themselves as as anti-woke feel that they mm-hmm. have to say implicit bias is nonsense. 
And what frustrates me is people get certain things wrong. I think one, one distinction which is worth making is it can be both true that tests like the IAT, the implicit attitudes test, are not good tests of whether you or me or anybody else is racist. They're not reliable enough. They're not valid enough. But at the same time, in the aggregate, you can use these tests to find out some neat things. You could say, are people more biased about Blacks than Asians? Have people mm -hmm. become more biased over the last 10 years or less biased? And I think there's some really neat discoveries that you could have with an imperfect method. Yeah, um, I think, you know, the term itself almost uh, begs to sow confusion in a certain sense. I mean, it's like, well, for starters, you know, I was on a jury recently and they showed us some video about implicit bias. And then at the end said, now, do you think you can recognize and overcome implicit bias? And I'm like, well, wait, if it's implicit, that's probably hard, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I can guarantee it. Um, but uh, the other, there's a couple of things. Okay, so in some contexts, biases are inherently implicit. When we talk about cognitive biases, we're talking about yeah. things we aren't aware of, right? So all those you'd think are implicit. And uh, I would have thought from the get-go that a lot of racism is kind of implicit, at least in the sense that it begins with almost an emotional reaction, and that shapes your thinking in ways you don't understand. And then there's the possible conflation of the phenomenon, at least in my mind, of implicit bias with the methodology you described. Yeah. That, that test, yeah. the implicit, uh, what is it, attitudes test, and maybe you should say something about that, because what, whatever its validity, it's an ingenious thing because you can't game it. it, it it's a test that it, if it's a, to any extent valid, it's pretty much impossible to game. Whereas you think most biased tests are like they show you a picture of a black person and, yeah. and you say, what do you think of them? And you say, well, yeah. I have only the most positive thoughts. I'm not a racist. But this is why do you quickly explain how this thing works. It's very clever. It's, it's, it was uh, thought up by uh, Tony Greenwald and uh, my old friend, Mazreen Banaji. And uh, it's a very clever idea, thought long ago. And, and it's, it's, it's designed so you can't game it. I think you can gain it, game it to some extent by slowing down your responses, but, but it's, it's hard to game. And the idea is, is really simple. Suppose you want to see whether there's bias against old people, elderly people versus young mm -hmm. people. So you just, you just ask people, nah, I'm not biased against the elderly. Say, so, okay, well, here's, let's play a game. Um, on the screen, um, in one trial, whenever you train it, whenever there's an old face, you press this button, button on the right, and a young face, you press the button on the left. So, do, 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 you're doing it as fast as you can. Okay. Next version is whenever there's a positive word, you press the button on the right, uh, negative word, you press on the left. Two data. Okay. Now here's the game. When you see an old face and a positive, and one trial, old face and a positive word, press one button, young face and a negative word, you press the other button. And then another trial is flipped. Um, old face and negative word, one button, young face and positive word, other button. You see how this goes. If young and positive go together in the head, mm -hmm. then you should be faster at that right. than associating young and negative. And in fact, people aren't. Yeah. And, and you get this. And you could have this, even if you would say, honestly, I have nothing against old people. I don't, I don't, not, I don't favor young people. But People show this bias, and I think the bias is because you have associations. You have, you know, many people carry on negative associations with, mm -hmm. uh, with, with uh, old people, with black people, with the disabled, with gay people. Um, 
And I think this design has actually found some really cool things. Okay, I will tell you, here's the thing. What is the, what is the group that's most positive? On IATs as well. It's most positively viewed by the average person. Yes. Well, it depends on the demographic of the. I mean, what the truly average person like this is. I mean, what what is the ethnic composition of the of the group taking the test? I I have to know that. It wouldn't matter because it's not an ethnic group. The answer is women. Women. Women are positive. Yeah, I like women. I like women. I can see that. Women like women. Men like women. Everybody likes women. There's like seven different types of implicit adjectives. Women always come up on top. Women are associated with positive things, men with negative things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, are, is it wrong? No, the, 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 women are great. So, so you find this, you find, um, you find implicit attitudes change over time. Um, what's not true, so, so, so I also, the critics are also right. The IAT is too unreliable to be used mm-hmm. as an individual measure. And also the IAT isn't a good measure of your real world behavior it plays it plays a role like um here's an experiment that that Masrin Banaji did with some other people which is very clever you have um you you show people uh an eBay thing where they have to bid on baseball cards and what they either see is a bunch of baseball cards held by white hands or black hands turns out people bid less when they're held by black hands for identical cards mm. now it might be, which probably true. Some people are just racist, and they say, "I don't want, I don't want to buy something from a black person. I don't trust them. Maybe it's inferior products like that." But my bet is, a lot of people don't even notice the race. Mm-hmm. They just they see this black hand. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Consciously, they see this black hand away, and it affects their mood. It affects their feelings, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of an example of how it could play a subtle role. You know, when I took the IAT, it actually said that I like uh, black people slightly more than I like white people. That was the finding, which that made sense because almost all the assholes I know are white. So that made sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> yes. And I know so, and I know a lot of assholes, Paul. And this is and this is, in fact, one of the issues where people say, well, we get associations by experience in the world. So shouldn't we trust these associations? The answer is sometimes yes, but sometimes it's idiosyncratic experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you meet you meet three Jews. They're all jerks. You say Jews bad, or sometimes they're out of date. So here's like something: you ask people to think up their typical college student. They'll often think of a man. Those ones true. Now mm-hmm. men are not by a small margin mm-hmm. minorities in colleges. You should have thought of a woman. Yeah, well, you. I know in your newsletter piece, your small potatoes newsletter piece. By the way, you should do if you really want to do product placement. On that fake background behind you, you should put some fake small potatoes on the fake bookshelf. It'd be on a sea of potatoes. Yeah. I just put all potatoes. Really, yeah. really tiny. Small ones. I've never, I've never been willing to commit enough to these things. Uh, not to my books, not to my sub stack. I just, just, you know. Uh, you know what they say about small potatoes? In for a penny, in for a pound. That's, that's uh, Gold in my ear said that too, in fact, I think. I like the quote of gold in my ear. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so wait, so in your, in your small potatoes newsletter, um, you get into the famous, uh, riddle about the brain surgeon, you know, they're a rush to the hospital. The brain surgeon says, I can't operate on that child. That's my son. And 
for some reason, we've already been introduced to the father or the son who is somebody else or something. You have, told, you have told a real in the worst possible way. Thank I you. Thank not, you. But I it was a imagine. time saver. I saved time. Did I not save time? Save I saved time. time. <laughs> and, people have no idea what you're talking about. Everyone's heard this yeah. where, where people go, wait, how could this be the case? And you say, the surgeon's a woman. It's his mother. Yeah. And they go, oh, God, I was biased. Yeah. I thought all surgeons were men. But yeah. one thing that's true is probably the vast majority of brain surgeons are men. Yeah. Not that that's a defense, but it's, uh, well, what you show is that actually in real life, people come up with a lot of other explanations, which are conceivable. And I don't know, is the idea that, I mean, what are some of these other offbeat explanations? They say, well, maybe. What? It was a cute study. And the idea was that the subjects that many who, so the idea is, you know, somebody says, uh, uh, this guy's driving his father and there's a car accident and the father's killed and and the son is in bad shape and then goes out and I can't operate. On Are you saying kid. I did not do a good job of telling of telling the thing, Paul? I was hoping we Go could ahead. edit it. No, we, uh, we could edit fine. your version out. But, it's so, fine. Go ahead. So so how is this possible that the surgeon could be the the parent of the of the child, but not not be a man. And you, when you think about it, like it doesn't matter that 80%, 90% of surgeons are, are men. Of course, it could be the mother. But people, immediately a man comes to mind. And for many people, the, the grip of this association is so strong that they say fantastical things. That's what they say. Like, well, it's not so bad. Well, it's a, plainly, it's, it's, it's a same sex marriage. And they, they've adopted a kid. Or, mm -hmm. um, or maybe the surgeon is a priest. And for priests, other people are his sons, they say, perhaps incorrectly. Right. Um, maybe, and it's like, maybe the father went to heaven and then descended into the surgeon's body. I'm like, this enormous length people go to because the idea of a female surgeon, it, they don't just say, oh, that is less frequent. The, the implicit bias drives them mm -hmm. to it. And, and it's that case where this thing has real world implications, where if I'm thinking about somebody for a job or something and I only think about men, that's a problem. So yeah. defend, the, the, defend again. There, there's a defense of biases, which I think is is in, to a large extent right. Which you can't live without accumulating statistics about the world and acting upon them. Mm -hmm. Now, if I if I'm going to ask somebody for help moving a sofa, I'm not going to ask a four year old child. I'm not going to ask a ninety year old grandmother. Mm -hmm. It's just stereotypes because I figure somebody you know, maybe they maybe they have super strength, but you know, stereotypes. That's fine. But sometimes the biases act in ways that make us irrational and ineffective. So and those it's kind of like a sort of two cheers for implicit biases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So could I say I'm, something else about the Substack, by the way? Your it, Substack or mine? You can say something about mine. Well, okay, I'll say I'll say about mine and you can say this about, about, okay. about yours. Okay. But I'm not sure that yours has the same property. I'm loving writing in it. Because I'm just writing pieces. Mine, mine stuff. does not have that property, no, but go <laughs> ahead. Well, here's the thing. Mine, one reason why mine is unlikely to become truly successful is it's just it's just whatever I think about. So I'm writing something now on envy. You yeah. Know, how do you what causes envy? How do you get rid of envy when you feel envy? Loving ah, the topic. Um you are much more focused in your in your substack. And maybe mm. that makes it more successful, maybe better. But also maybe a little bit less fun for me. Yeah, but you know, I'm here to bring cheer to others, Paul. 
You're the original myself. effective altruist. I am the original effective altruist. How big a part was that of the whole? Was that genuinely a big part of the Sam Bankman Freed? See, that's the thing. His whole thing seems like such kind of an act, right? It does. Doesn't it seem like that from the outside? You would think that until you read about his first 18 years of life. Yeah, I guess. And then, I guess. And then but yeah, I mean, I've heard, so he was an effective altruist. He was very, mm -hmm. he was persuaded by Will McCaskill um, to take it very, yeah. very seriously. He's been on my podcast. Yes. Yes. And, and, um, and actually very similar to Elon Musk. One of the things about Elon Musk, a third thing, which is interesting, is Elon Musk seems not very interested in money. He's not doing this right. for the money. It's pretty clear. He's, he wants to make us an interplanetary species to preserve consciousness and also, you know, um, own the libs on Twitter. But mm -hmm. but whatever he wants, it's, 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 it's not money. And Sam Bankman fried I think, also seemingly wants, you know, to make the world a better place for, for conscious beings. Having said that, and this is something you may know, didn't he have any a sort of a bit of an in, some sort of late night interview with somebody over DMs or something? With the he uh, said, it was he said a it was Vox, all an act. It was a Vox journalist, I think, who had yeah. interacted with him. I mean, it turns out that he had actually financially supported the vertical at Vox that she wrote under. Um, so anyway, she knew him, and he he kind of. I don't know if he realized he was on the record, but it, she decided he was, right, yeah. and wrote about it. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't work out well for him. And he didn't he say that he, it was just all bullshit? Like, Yeah, it was either there or something. Yeah, I think he, he said it was something about how, look, here's how you play the game. You know, you say these politically correct things. You do X, Y, and Z. And yeah, it's bullshit. It was, it was uh, that vibe, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why I think it was all bullshit. Because he said this is all bullshit. <laughs> that would be a clue. I haven't got that far into the book. That's that's the problem. Yeah, no, that would be near the end after the after the shit hits the fan. I actually have had discussions with people who are professional journalists, and then at the end, I've said to them, "This, this is, is off, off the record, record right?" Isn't it? And they cackle. They cackle, and they say, "No, you have to say that <laughs> at the beginning." <laughs> um. A... Yeah. Well, we got to make a living. So listen. Uh, I know you uh, have thoughts about Twitter, and also you're going to explain to me how we're going to um, keep AI from taking over. You've solved yeah. the alignment problem, which is great news, but, and we are going to talk about it, however, uh, one that stuff thing. stuff isn't free. This stuff isn't free. You don't get shit like this for free. No. What just came is what you get for free for obvious reasons, right? But the, yeah, but the right. next stuff we next should be stuff pay, is, we should be paying them for the we should be paying you for doing. what you just endured, yeah, okay? Right. But the, but what's about to come is different. It's worth paying for, and so the paywall is going to descend. Now we're not moving to the parrot room, um, per se, but kind of the same idea. Uh, with most of my podcasts these days, I I do this. You know, first uh, fifty minutes hour is a public uh, uh, podcast, arguably a public service. Arguably not. Okay. But then um, if you want the full experience, you become a paid subscriber to the non-zero newsletter. You can Google non-zero and Substack, or you can uh, click a link in uh, the show notes of your podcast app. And then you magically, you, you, you can get a podcast feed that magically has all the bonus content forevermore. Um, plus the stuff in the newsletter, that the, the print, part that's behind the paywall uh so 
And who knows, Paul, maybe someday small potatoes will have a paywall. We can only hope. We can only hope. You should start one because then you could uh, put this behind it. You know, think about That's, that. I could start one and have it. This is the only thing you get. This is the only like, thing. Like, you know, subscribers yeah. get like to 50 cents to- a month or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, don't do that. I don't want that. That would undermine my whole business model if people yeah. could get it that cheap. But so charge a dollar. Anyway, uh, anything else you want to say before we move into overtime? No, uh, no, like, I, just, I, I think we've sufficiently publicized your newsletter, have we not? I think we have. Small, uh, small potatoes, that is? It's small potatoes, yeah. It's small potatoes, anyway. Why talk about it? Okay. So thanks, everybody who stayed with us this far. We encourage you to make the leap. Goodbye. We pay wall into overtime, and that's where we're going now.